Welcome to the Lounge, a show where I, Jesse Edmond, talk to the, the just the best, the best of the best of the gaming industry. And today I have the best of the best of the best, Tracy Barnett. Tracy's currently kickstarting Iron Etta Accelerated for Fate from Encoded Designs. We chat about that experience and, and how that differs from the other work that Tracy's done. And we just have a great conversation. And I know you'll enjoy it. So check it out here in the lounge. But uh, but how you doing? How how is everything going? I mean, you are you're as of right now, uh, you're one hundred percent to goal. Yeah, we uh, we funded today uh, with the Ironet Accelerated Kickstarter. Um, it's pretty cool. Um, apparently, the police are after me. Um, Makes sense. I need to duck and cover. Yeah, uh, Kickstarter is <laughs> oh, um, problematic like that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you fund that fast, and they they start wanting to ask all kinds of questions. Um, <laughs> But no, um, yeah, things have been have been good. It's a real difference being uh, not the person 100% responsible for everything Kickstarter related. Uh, I've run seven previous Kickstarters, wow. and I've been sort of the person who is in charge of the whole thing, like setting up the page and watching all the pledges come in and getting an email every time somebody backs or changes their pledge level or whatever. And this time all I've had to do is sit and, you know, wait for Phil and encoded designs to, you know, hit go and then like talk about it. Um, it's been a lot less stressful and I really am thankful to uh, Phil and Chris and Bob and John and, and Tim and everyone at Encoded Designs for wanting to take this on because it's made my life a lot easier. I can I can only imagine. Um, I mean, I've only tried to run one unsuccessful Kickstarter, not for my thing, but um, it that that was hard and I did it very poorly. Um, but... Yeah, it's there's a, there are a lot of different factors to to take into account and there are a lot of different things that you have to be accountable for and um only having to to be accountable for like promoting the game Mm -hmm. and talking about the thing that you loved making with people like you like that's an all right place to be with all this yeah that's i mean it, just just that idea well i it, you know part of part of the reason i love doing this is because you know i i i'll record something edit it and then drop it on the website and like every all that other stuff that's that people deal with with podcasting is kind of taken taken care of by that network because it's it's just a very well curated group of people that are willing to do great work to put great stuff out there. So yeah, yeah, it's, I agree completely. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. I, 
Oh, so we, we both agree that encoded designs and misdirected mark and, and all other adjacent uh, properties are just absolutely awesome. Yeah. And uh, cool. I should ask, because I almost did just then, what is your policy on swearing? Oh, uh, I'm open to it. I mean, okay. I, I, I put this up as a... Um... Yeah, you can you can say whatever you want. I'll okay. it, I, just I go to with, sure. with whatever the guest goes. Uh, okay, but I, I can I can go blue. I can go blue. Okay. <laughs> um, so so this is uh, this is seeped in Norse mythology, which yeah. is super exciting for me because I do love. Now I don't know it as well as a lot of other people I know. Um, I have a friend who. Uh, I've actually referenced on this podcast before, and he has uh, Yggdrasil um, mm-hmm. tattooed from his ankle up to his shoulder. Nice. Yeah, telling the whole story uh, of, of that, um, and so he's he's he knows it really well. Um, mm-hmm. I got into it because I loved comic books, and there was Thor and and all that stuff, and I know that that's kind of shorthand Norse mythology. But mm-hmm. my favorite comic book, well, not my favorite comic book creator of all time, but let's say the most legendary comic book creator is Jack Kirby. And the most fascinating thing, fact I know about Jack Kirby is that he owned two books growing up, a book on anatomy, drawing anatomy, and a book on Norse mythology. Mm. And that's all he owned. So uh, I feel like just because I love all the comics that he made, I have this kind of understanding of, of the mythology um, you know, at least through the eyes of, of, uh, a guy who grew up poor in New York. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and for the purposes of Iron Edda, like you don't really have to know much more than that. Like if you, if you see the names like Odin and Thor and the word Ragnarok and you're not like, I don't know what the fuck that is, <laughs> then you're going to be fine because yeah. that's all really the that's all the deeper that the that the myth actually goes in the setting because I wanted to have it be a strong thematic component, but I wanted it to be uh, accessible to people. Um, in fact, the thing that the main inspiration for what the game became was um, Elder Scrolls V Skyrim. Okay. Which, which is very Norse as well, yeah. but through the lens of that setting, right? It has... Norse overtones and is thematically Norse, but uses all of the gods of Tamriel and, and all that stuff. Um, but the attitudes are still there. Mm-hmm. And fantasy in general, I think pulls a great deal from the, you know, the, 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 the poetic Edda's. Yeah. I mean, so, so Tolkien, um, like if you look through the Hobbit and Lord of the Rings, uh, there's probably more Norse-based mythology in there than there is English or Celtic. Uh, in fact, the uh, the names of the dwarves that come to Bilbo in The Hobbit are pulled from the Eddas. Yeah. yeah. Um, and and Tolkien was a was a great scholar of of a lot of myth of antiquity, but um, Norse myth uh, especially. So it's all layered in there, and and that's one of the reasons that I think it tends to be so readily accessible um, to a Western audience is because what we think of as fantasy for better or worse. And I hope 
our definition of fantasy continues to grow and expand. Mm-hmm. But there, the the roots of European fantasy are right there in a lot of ways. Right. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's it's it's so. Oops, I just muted myself. Well, I'm gonna have to edit right about there. Okay, cool. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, no worries. It's it's funny because uh, it's so accessible to a Western audience. Uh, I feel like even more so than than when I was growing up. I feel like when I was in uh, when I was growing up in school, when we talked about mythology, we talked about Greek mythology exclusively. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet, you know, I mean, we have days of the week named after Nordic mythology, yeah. like a few of them. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, that's it, it's it's the kind of thing where um, the fact that it's become more and more accessible and more uh, uh, not accessible isn't the word I'm looking for, but um Prevalent. Just, yes, prevalent. That is exactly the word. Uh, oh, we just started talking, Tracy, and you're already finishing my sentences. Well, you know, <laughs> there's a there's a connection there. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> um, so so talk to me about um, about the game itself. Uh, this is your second edition. Uh, yeah, I've I've just been calling it um, a revised edition okay. because um, I don't know. In RPGs, second edition carries a whole lot of like weight and connotation and people tend to think that that means that you can't use the previous one or, or whatever. It's just, it's a loaded, a loaded phrase. Um, so basically I, I wrote what became iron Edda first back in 2013. I actually wrote it as a stretch goal for somebody else's Kickstarter. Um, it was a Kickstarter called apotheosis drive X it was a like one of the first uh, Fate Core Kickstarters to come out, or Fate Core games to be sort of written after Fate Core kickstarted uh, in the beginning of 2013. Oh, cool! And it was a uh, a mecha like RPG, and I wanted to, to be a stretch goal writer, so I was thinking, well, what what can I do that's that's mecha that I know? Because I don't really know anime mecha tropes that well and um i know fantasy pretty well and i was playing a lot of skyrim at the time and i started thinking about what it would be like to have the the dwarven constructs um from under the ground like rise to the surface and how would people respond to that and what could fight them um you know the the game engine has obvious limitations but like they'd have to be bigger and oh my gosh that would be epic and amazing um dragons were the easy answer but i didn't want to do like dragons as mecha. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in the context of Skyrim, the other large thing in the world are the giants. Yeah. And uh, living giants are boring. So how about the bones of dead ones? That's... Um, and that was like, that was the the genesis of that. So uh, I, I wrote and unfortunately did not get paid for that work in uh, that Kickstarter. Um, but the license under which everything was written was creative commons. So I could continue working on this idea and expand it out because I thought I had something pretty cool there. Uh, so I, I fleshed it out and I expanded it. And in 2014, I kickstarted 
uh, Iron Edo, War of Metal and Bone. And it was mostly Fate Core with a mixture of some Fate Accelerated stuff in it. And it's a pretty good game. I like it. But I didn't have the wherewithal as a publisher to try and actually give it a marketing push or support it or really um, interrogate how I was presenting the game uh, enough. And so it's it's a fine game. It, it does what it does just fine. But I thought that there could be more. So last year, um, after going through like a cycle of, oh, well, I'm... I made what I think is a really good game. Why is no one buying it? No one's buying it because you're mar you're not marketing it. Well, how can I market it if I don't run it at conventions? I'm tired of running it at conventions and like this whole cycle. My thought was, well, I think maybe the problem is that I'm not a good publisher. Like I had I had set myself up internally to try and do this publishing thing and had kickstarted a number of projects and kept piling on project after project, assuming that I would just somehow magically figure out how to do all of this well. Um, you know, hubris and and male privilege and and all that stuff sort of mixed together, and I didn't do a good job. Mm -hmm. So I started thinking about what could come next, and I pitched um, the idea for a revised version of Ironetta to Phil and John and Chris and Bob over at Encoded Designs, and they liked the idea. Um, they agreed that that something more could be done with it and they wanted to be the people to help me do that so uh after that pitch meeting i was like okay well what what actually can i do differently with this and shortly after the meeting i uh began reading uh dresden files accelerated by evil hat mm -hmm. and i saw this framework that they had made for using conditions and using approaches and having a way to take um, Fate Accelerated and put some more meat on its bones, but also be uh, pretty prescriptive about what each class, if you will, they call them mantles and I call them destinies and Ironhead Accelerated, but about what each one can do. And I was like, well, yeah, this could really work. And as I started doing the design work, I realized that that approach filled in the gaps of what was missing in the original War of Metal and Bone. Um, and one of the big things was that there was no real cost for using your power, right? You could, um, like the rune scribed, for example, you've got this rune of power embedded on your body someplace. And when you use it, it's big and flashy and obvious, and you can do things at the same scale that, that giants do, you know, just in one particular way. Uh, like maybe super speed or uh, having the power of the of of light and the dawn at your command, and that's great. But like, the only thing stopping you just using that and lording that power over someone are sort of like the yeah, the societal constraints around you. I talk about it in, the, in that game, but like, that's a thing you have to actively choose to do in the fiction with your group, right? There's nothing of the game that says. Well, well, hang on, pump the brakes there, champ. Um, <laughs> and so in Iron Knight Accelerated, all your powers are represented by conditions, right? You've got, um, you know, a set of boxes that say when you check a box, you then get access to this power for a, a prescribed amount of time. And to get this power back, 
you have to do something to recover that box. So you've got an automatic little economy there. And if you tie the recovery of that power to those same social things, then suddenly you have, just like with the invocation of an aspect, you have the fiction bleeding into the mechanics and vice versa. Mm -hmm. And it really helps reinforce that all of this power comes at a price and that all the stories that you're telling in a game of, of Ironetta are very personal ones. Um, so every, every playbook, every destiny um, sort of got that, that polish up and that tightening of intention. So, you know, the, the bone bonded, your giant has a, uh, a worldly desire aspect. It's something they miss about being alive. And to get your power back, you have to indulge in that thing. So like the example that I, that I jokingly use most of the time is if that's fried chicken, great. All you have to do is eat a giant sized helping of fried chicken. Um, it looks grotesque and your stomach is distended and you're sick of chicken by the time the giant's done, but you get your power back. Um, but if the giant was really into, you know, like, um, pyromania that becomes a slightly more challenging problem to navigate and and having having the player sort of choose what what that limit is you know along with the group sort of deciding and then having to play that out to get your power back to do the big stompy fight against the dwarven destroyers like that's a lot more compelling to me than oh yeah you can summon your bones and there's a giant living in your head Good luck with that. <laughs> you know, like, because in, in a lot of ways, uh, that's where the first game sort of stopped. Mm -hmm. it, it was just like, yeah, this thing is true. It's on you to play that out. Right. And I think the tone of the game meant that a lot of people did. Like, they, they got that that's what I was going for. But in Ironhead Accelerated, you don't have to reach for that. It's baked into everything you're doing. Well, if you can marry the fiction and the and the mechanics in a, in a closer way, you know, I've, I've known a lot of games that are like, Hey, your, your drawback for this thing is that, you know, you look uglier or, you know, you like, there's this weird thing. And like, if, if you, if, if you choose not to do that, or if, if you're playing in a game as a player and your game master chooses not to, to invoke that, you know, that's, then it doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the your character is is ugly thing is a really interesting one right because you should be fictionally playing that out and the gm should always be like narrating people's responses to how you look as if if mechanically it's supposed to be like you have a horrific visage and and everything but like you could get a player say the player is the the super talkative one and is the charismatic leader who who like it or lump it ends up being the face of the party mm -hmm. like if they forget to do that, if they forget to play that part of their character, then it's just a couple words on a sheet that don't really mean anything. Right, right. I mean, it's the classic, you know, I've played a lot of GURPS, and there's the, there's the classic, like, you know, I'm callous and bloodthirsty. What does that do for you? Well, it, there's some slight mechanical disadvantage for skills I may not have. Um, other than that, you know, eh, I'm just, you know, I, I don't care about people, and I kill my enemies, and like, okay, well, is that important in this world? Is that a, you know, thing? And, you know, the, I feel like you have to sometimes with those systems, especially if they're crunchy, you have to police mm -hmm. every decision. Like, 
you know, this isn't going to come up. <laughs> yeah. And, and there are, um, there are things with uh, some of the destinies in Iron Edda where like the mechanical advantages of things that you can take are very pronounced. Mm-hmm. Like, like the seer um, has a, uh, a stunt they can take called my ancestors bones. Okay. That lets them do like rune castings and divinations better. And the stunt prescribes what that means. It's an overcome role and you get some information if you succeed, but you get a plus two on that role. If you use your ancestors bones, but then your ancestors spirit shows up and demands something of you. Right. So like, okay, you can do rune casting without that mechanical bonus, but every time you use it, there's a ghostly tap on your shoulder. Yeah. And Aunt Matilda shows up and (laughs) says, Hey, you owe me. That's my thigh bone. You're rattling around right there. You know, like, um, it's, it's, it's little things like that. It's, it's little touches that I think make the difference between something that is just a mechanical advantage and something that is mechanically interesting and fictionally compelling. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, it's a refinement and, uh, it's, um, it, now, so so that's a, a what five year difference between the two edi- uh, not not editions revisions mm-hmm. yeah. versions. Um, with that in mind, I mean, was it a you know because you talked a little bit about how you 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 saw um, uh, Dresden accelerated mm-hmm. and worked from there, but. I, I guess, okay, here's where I'm going with this very poorly worded question. Um, I, when, when I, I produced the game last year and immediately started thinking, what can I do to make this better? Um, uh-huh. Produced it very quickly. Was it the same kind of thing? Or was it kind of like, because I know you have some other projects that you've worked on. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so it, it was and it wasn't. There there are things that I learned while playtesting the original War of Metal and Bone, and, and while after publication, while running it at conventions, um, about specifically how at the table to tell those kinds of stories most effectively, mm-hmm. right? So, in terms of presentation of information, like how does the game still be the game that I think it is when I'm not at the table. Like how do you, how do you bake that information into the book? How do you say, here's, here's how you're supposed to play this. Um, Thinking about that was really important to me this time around, because I don't think I did enough of that in the original version. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mechanically speaking, when I saw the underlying tech behind Dresden Files Accelerated, I was immediately like, no, this is going to work really well. Um, getting that process started was a little bit intimidating to me. But as soon as I really started thinking about, I started with the bone bonded because that's sort of like the archetypical thing sure. um, in that game. As soon as I took the bone bonded and really sat down and thought, okay, 
So their big thing is they need to summon the bones and that needs to be a condition and conditions are built like this. So how do I, how do I represent that? Um, and I started tinkering with it. And when I got to them needing a recovery thing, I was like, Oh, well, it's gotta be something with the giant, right? Like there was just mm -hmm. this natural progression. It just flowed right out of my head. And I was like, all right, well, that's cool. What else can, the bone bonded do by default like what have i seen players ask me if they can do in a, re a game of war of metal and bone that i never made explicit but i was like oh yeah that's fucking cool do that when i was yeah. running the game so things like letting the giant's voice boom out of your mouth or summoning the giant's bones but in a shape and structure that is not a humanoid skeletal configuration that's awesome yeah like I had someone make a long ship out of their giant and sail it down a river. I'm like, yeah, that's really cool. Like that needs to be an option uh, to be able to do that. What if the giant never sleeps? What if you need to sleep less? You know, so those are the things that I built into, into the bone bonded. And um, the other destinies had sort of similar, similar progressions. Um, in the original War of Metal and Bone, I did a lot of writing that left things open and available to the players, and every group just sort of decide how things were. Mm -hmm. There was setting information. Um, you're already making your own hold fast with a bunch of questions, right? So I was like, well, I don't need to get too particular with all of this. Uh, part of that was just a lack of desire and lack of patience on my part to really dig in and do work that was probably necessary mm. to take it from a fine game and make it into a great game. Um, but then in my mind, my justification was, well, you know, I don't want to tell everyone what they have to do yeah. in the game. But I've learned over the years that, there's nothing really wrong with that as long as you believe in what you're what you're doing right like games are as prescriptive as they need to be to get the experience that the gm or the creator wants you to have when they're not around right right so like a game like fiasco has very specific procedures and very specific guidance on how to handle your scenes because it works and it's a reproducible thing that tells a Coen Brothers type movie story yeah. at the table. Um, Apocalypse World is the perfect example. It is prescriptive as hell. It says if you are not running the game this way, you're not playing Apocalypse World. Yep. And that's a tough pill for some people to swallow. Oh, very much so. But it makes for a very, very compelling game. Yeah. Like if that's the kind of game you want, that's the kind of experience you're going to get. And so when thinking about those things for uh, this new revision of Ironetta, I had to decide how much of what we're doing is the game that I want people to have. Like how prescriptive do I need to get with these things? Mm -hmm. And it turns out that for me across a couple of campaigns of this game and probably 
I wouldn't be surprised if I've run close to a hundred convention sessions of okay. it wow. over the years. Um, or just one shots of, of some type that on the tin iron Edda is about fighting Ragnarok and destroying massive dwarven mechs with your big stompy giant mm -hmm. and, and having awesome kick-ass Norse powers. But the stories that get told are the stories about the people in the world. Like what does it mean to your partner when you have a giant that lives in your head always? Yeah. That's like, cool. what, yeah. What are the ramifications for the seer? Like manipulating everyone around them. Um, what happens when the rune scribed eventually is going to explode because they've used their power too much. Um, so, so digging into those things and making sure that the mechanical ways for, for power recovery are tied into the societal fiction of, uh, of everything in the, in the game. Like that was really important because ultimately the game is about those personal stories. Yeah. Um, that's where the juice is. That's it's one of those places where you don't see a lot of uh, a lot of games or fiction in general really touch on. Um, it's it's um, I, I I equate a lot of things to superheroes because that's that's my wheelhouse. Um, mm -hmm. But the the deconstruction of the superhero, which became kind of a trope in like the late eighties, early nineties, is something that's mm -hmm. always kind of fascinated me. Like, how does how does it, what about what's the law look like in a world where there's people who can punch things through buildings? You know, what do their family lives actually look like? You know, um, yeah. that's cool. That's very cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's the same kinds of discussions that I, I wanted to have in my head and put on paper yeah. about, about this game because yeah, you're trying to stave off the end of the world. But that that question comes up of what, at what price, right? Like, what are you sacrificing in order to save whatever it is you're trying to save? And is it worth it? And you have to decide whether it is or not. Yeah, that's uh, I. That's really exciting, especially so. One of the things too that when I was kind of looking through this. Um, I'm very much a, um, I did, I'm not, I'm not sure exactly why this is the case, but a lot of times, especially with fantasy campaigns, if it's like, here's the main component of this world, here's the, here's the thing that, that this is, you know, about, I will play a character that steers as far away from that as possible. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if it's because I just like to be different or I just like to be a problem, probably somewhere in the middle. Um, but as I was looking through this, like the, 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 um, um, oh, you said it bone bonded mm -hmm. is the thing I want to play in this. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> like immediately I was like, well, oh, that's just cool. Um, well, well, and I think also I very intentionally, as I was, uh, writing this game, wrote destinies that are not your typical like character that you're going to play in a campaign. Like there's a destiny for the farmer. Hmm. Like you, you want a farm. That's 
where your power comes from. Like you provide food and sustenance to people and you fight in defense of your home. And uh, actually just yesterday, the day we launched, I was um, uh, recording for the Party of One podcast with with Jeff Stormer. And it's just, we played a two-player game of Ironetta for about an hour. And uh, he played the crafter and I played the farmer. And that was our, our Ragnarok story. Huh. And it was and it was great. That sounds... So like if if yeah if you're the kind of person who plays off type characters like that 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 that's already built in for you because ultimately at the end of the day everyone's just a person. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 you you're you want to tell the stories of everybody who's part of this this setting, not mm-hmm. just uh not just the the specific types. I think. I think that's amazing, and I maybe that's why I'm drawn to the 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 the, the one kind of primary. I don't know, man. That's just that's just really cool. I've I've had this weird fascination with skeletons as armor for a long time. Mm. I don't know where that comes from, um, <laughs> and it's and I feel like it was kind of buried somewhere in the recesses of my, my lizard brain, but tell like, me about your father. <laughs> <laughs> well, he liked to wear skeletons as armor, which is weird. Well, well shit. There we have it. <laughs> it was the seventies. <laughs> I mean, you know, people did a lot of weird shit, uh, <laughs> but, um, I, you know, this, like, I, I, I also like, like, uh, uh, genre and trope mixing, in general, I think you can mm-hmm. always kind of play with that. And the fact that you made a mecha game that uses Norse mythology as the backdrop is just amazing. Um, tell me about the setting. Sure. So the setting itself uh, it focuses on a country called called Midgard because, of course, it does. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's the name of the world and it's the name of the country you live in. And I wanted to do my best to make it a as diverse and as inclusive uh, as the actual world is like people don't realize there were black Vikings. Like there are people from every background that lived in Scandinavia and went a Viking. Um, And so geographically speaking, Midgard stretches from an area that is analogous to Scandinavia in our world, all the way down to like uh, Southern Europe on the Mediterranean. So you have an entire gamut of like climates and uh, geographies to, to, to play in and to keep the sort of Viking sailing tradition uh, around the country is mostly landlocked where Scandinavia is not. Uh, so there are the nine rivers of Norse myth all flow through Midgard huh. and you can take a ship, you know, much like the Vikings did in our world, like, there was Viking trading in Arabia because they could take the massive rivers that run through Europe all the way down there and pick up their longboats and portage them over to the next river and keep going. Um, So I wanted to have sort of that aesthetic going on as well. Um, Beyond sort of the Norse peoples, there are also analogs to every other culture in our world that, that our Vikings actually had contact with. So there is a, a British Celtic analog uh, over in the Isles of Mist. There is a Native American 
uh, analog in the peoples who live beyond the now destroyed Hinnitborg Mountains. Uh, there is uh, an Arabian analog with the, the Desert of Brand and the Brand Traders. Uh, there is a Roman Empire analog. Uh, even though the Roman Empire was like crumbled and fading at that point in time, there were still enough remnants of it around that I figured it would be fine, um, called the Petruvian Empire uh, to the south of Midgard. And then there's even uh, some references to uh, a, like, uh, a China analog uh, in the Jade Empire, um, you know, and the, the desert traders are brand trade along the Jade Road and get exotic things like gunpowder and such from, you know, from the, the countries uh, far, far to the east. So I wanted to have all of those things represented in there, as well as having the Alfar, you know, elves, um, the, the Svartalfar, the dark elves or the dwarves, uh, and then having a lot of you know, traditional uh, type Norse monsters like ogres and trolls and dragons and and, and what have you um, peppered throughout the world. Uh, some of those things are not explicit, but I've had games where I've run where um, it's like when you're like I mentioned before, when you're making your hold fast, you're sort of starting town. You roll a bunch of questions on a table and the group just answers them. So they range from everything from like the political climate to the geography to you know, the dwarves are attacking. What are you doing about it? To you know, it's all over the place. There are 124 questions that you can potentially roll, and you know some of them are like, well, there's a threat outside the holdfast. What is it, and what do you need to do to stop it? And people have been like, oh, well, there's an ogre living in a cave. I'm like, yeah, of course there is, <laughs> right? Because it just makes sense for that to be there. Yeah. That's the kind of thing that I'm still comfortable not being explicit in the book. Yeah. Because that's the kind of space that I want every group to draw their own stuff into. Sure. Um, because yeah, that's great. That's where that that's when, as the GM, you have the opportunity to to yes and till you go blue in the face. Yeah. And come up with some really cool stuff. Um, so yeah, that's that's the sort of rundown of the setting. Um, there's a big chasm that runs through the middle of everything called the Ganunga Gap, because of course there is, because that's the chasm from which all life sprung. Um, there's a there's a bridge to Asgard, uh, it's the spot in Midgard where the Rainbow Bridge comes down. Um, I've had a group, um, I had shit. I had a group run up the Rainbow Bridge and destroy Asgard um, with um, millions of chickens. Actually, wow. If I'm if I'm remembering that session correctly, I'm pretty sure all of us were pretty drunk. But okay. uh, but yeah. Hey, I, I mean, I, I mean, millions of chickens would probably do any place in. So, mm -hmm. I mean, it's, yeah. it's like a legend of Zelda, right? Don't piss off the cuckoos. <laughs> That's fantastic. Wow. So yeah. So you're, you're painting in broad strokes though, so that people can, can fill in the details. Mm -hmm. And I, I wanted to write, so there's a set, uh, a chapter in the setting or in the book about the setting. Yeah. And then there's all the holdfast creation questions. And then there's like a bit of poetry at the beginning. And then all of the stuff that is in all of the destinies. And there's all of the, uh, the threats that are at the back. Like I statted out Loki. Um, <laughs> he has one of the threats. He is a pain in the neck. You really don't want to mess with him. Mm -hmm. um, but like all of those things are there. 
just as reinforcing of what the setting can be. Mm -hmm. it, I, di I didn't want there to be like a monster manual, and these are the only threats that are in the world. There's a lot of guidance on how to create threats. There are, are examples of what those threats can be. But then if your players say, cave troll, you know how to make one. Yeah. And suddenly in your world, there's a cave troll. So I wanted to give a lot of signposts to point the way toward things. It's it's funny because there's this this idea that um, at least I've kind of known about, and and I've I come from a a, a, a grognard sort of background, but I'm trying to be better. Um, <laughs> but um, uh, I don't I don't think I really adhere to a lot of that but at the same time there's a lot of these grandiard ideas that as soon as you give stats to somebody people will try to kill it mm -hmm. and i don't think that's necessarily a bad thing i mean if you want to have people fight loki and have a cool fight with loki make loki <laughs> sure oh and it's also different than in dungeons and dragons where you bring out deities and demigods and suddenly zeus has stats yeah right and and in the, your hyper combat focused competitive group, everyone's baiting to fight a god. Yeah. Um, in Norse mythology in general, the gods are very close and very personal. Mm -hmm. They walk around on on in the world, and you can interact with them. Like technically, everyone in the world is a child of the god Rig because he slept around with three different uh, men's wives. Like that's the myth. Um, and that's that's how they describe they describe their their class system, why there are leaders and why there are farmers and why there are thralls. Um, but the gods are personal, and in Norse mythology, everything is Loki's fault. Yeah, because of course it is. Yeah. So I I actually had that thought. I was like, well, do I need to avoid putting the stats in for Loki in here because people are just going to want to fight him? And then I was like, well depending on where the campaign goes and how you want to have things progress, like maybe the GM needs to have Loki around mm -hmm. because maybe Loki actually is the problem right. with all of this. And maybe to solve the problem, you need to solve Loki. Yeah. So you need to know how to do that. Um, and it's, it's different than, because the game is focused around telling stories and fate is a system that is very much predicated on how the narrative goes. Um, I think that the, the idea that suddenly you have stats for a thing, meaning you have to fight that thing just doesn't really work with that system. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right. I think, I think it, it, it also doesn't, it, it doesn't predictate that the, that a fight mm -hmm. is going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, but I will say this though. It's, uh, it's always cool to hear about a setting and, you know, I mean, when we started this conversation, I, I would, I, I've been picturing in my head how I would play in this. Mm -hmm. um, but now, now I'm also picturing in my head how I'd run this and I have all these cool ideas. Um, that, that is, I've accomplished my goal, <laughs> right? right? Like if, if, if that is the reaction that I can get from people, um, then that's like, that's, that's the whole point of, of, of making a game of saying, 
I have this idea for a place and a that that will will be filled with things that you want to explore. And here is my framework for engaging with that place, uh, you know, through the rules of the game. If if those things are both worthwhile, then that's the reaction that I would hope people would have, is to hear about it and go. Like the first step is I want to play that. That's yeah. really cool because, yeah, great. You've engaged someone who wants to play. I think the next step is I want to run that because people who run games are fewer and further between than players are. Mm-hmm. And if I can get someone to be so invested in it that they're like, well, I wonder what I could do with that mechanically. Shit. I've won. I have won. <laughs> I've won gaming, right? Because that's, that's what that I think that's what this is all about is inspiring people and, and getting them to, to buy into your idea of what a game in a world can be so hard that they get inspired and they go on to, to want to do their own thing. Well, and that's the thing, Tracy. Not only did I invite you on the lounge to congratulate you on reaching your backing goal, but I also want to congratulate you on winning game design. So. I, I've, I have one game design. I will be awaiting, I'll be awaiting my trophy. Um, I'm sure that it will be here any moment now. It's, it, it, um, it's uh... just waiting on that doorbell. <laughs> just waiting. This one. No. <laughs> uh, no, but I mean, like that's that feels like such an achievement yeah. to me. And I think as someone who knows at some level that this is what I'm kind of supposed to do. Like game design is, is like a, a thing that I'm very good at. And it took me a long time to sort of figure that out. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I want to have that feeling, that sense of accomplishment, what I jokingly called winning. Um, so that I continue to want to do this Yeah. because like a lot of creative endeavors, it's ultimately a fruitless thing. Um, you know, like you make a thing and people may or may not engage with it and they may or may not buy it and they may or may not uh, tell you anything positive about it. So to get those responses, to even have one of those responses kind of makes it all worth it. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm glad. I, th- I feel like you're going to get a lot of those responses. Uh, I feel like I f- like this, you know, the, the copy for this, the, the, um, the the font the the look of this everything just looks gorgeous um the everything about it is just cool and fun uh it means that i can trick my my um my my old grognard friends into playing a uh, mecha game which is always exciting (laughs) and playing a fate game and a which is, game, man. which is which is story first. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And, uh, real quick aside, you're saying Grognard is that Grognard? Is that the? Oh, is there a different pronunciation? Yeah. So there was um, there's a podcast called System Mastery. Uh huh. Yeah, um, over over on the One Shot Network. Yeah, and um, and I was listening to that, and the one guy on there said that because it's French for an old soldier. And uh-huh. so the, the pronunciation, I guess, is Grognard. And I and I and I was like, you know, I as I often do listening to things, I go, that's bullshit. And I looked it up. I'm like, oh my god, this is that's where that came from. 
Huh. But, yeah. Well, even the dogs next door are offended by that. Jeez. <laughs> um, Starnard. And and it's no, no, that's I just I had not I had not heard that before. And uh, that's funny. I, I took French in high school and college, and like that totally makes sense now that you say that. But that is not the first thing that I ever would have thought. Uh, it sounds like huh. a made-up word that a gamer would make up. Like, yeah, like, yeah, grognard, you know. Um, but yeah, um, I yeah, and I just picked up on it. I've had a few people that have asked me about that. And, uh, yeah, I guess I guess it's a whole thing. I don't want to take any credit for it. I'm not actually smart. I just I just like to feed off the smarts of other people. So, <laughs> well, you know, I, I think that's that's a valid way to approach things. <laughs> now, how so? How long have you been doing game design? Um, I wrote some uh, campaign setting stuff that I thought I was going to do something with and have subsequently not done anything with um, back in like 2010, 2011. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I wrote my first game, uh, School Days, uh, at the end of... Actually, it actually would have been the very beginning of 2012 because I got the idea for it while I was driving back from a long trip uh, to Kansas City. So I had a 12-hour drive home and started noodling on uh, this idea that became uh, became my first game. So so yeah, it's been it's been a good long a good long while now and I uh, spent a lot of time uh, sort of piling on projects and thinking that I was going to forge my way into doing this full time and then, I've realized, like I mentioned before, I'm not really good at the publishing side of things. Mm -hmm. um, so I've been lucky to find uh, a number of people um, who are willing to do the publishing for me. Yeah. Uh, and that has been uh, a very welcome thing uh, in sort of in the, the indie games landscape is that there are more people around who are good at the business side of things, who like the business side of things, who do also make games, but are as well interested in helping other people uh, get their games out into the world. Yeah. Uh, so like working with Encoded Designs is fantastic. Um, I have a contract right now with Galileo Games uh, to make uh, sort of my love letter to uh, the Borderlands video game franchise. Ah, okay. Uh, that's called uh, Valkyries. It's going to be a, a card-based uh, Fate RPG. Um, uh, I'm working on a few other designs that I want to pitch to publishers uh, because I don't foresee myself doing another Kickstarter for a big project that's my game uh, or even a collaboration where I'm doing all of the project management and all of the wrangling of freelancers and everything to get the game actually published because mm -hmm. it's just too much. Yeah. Um, I would much rather focus on making the games the best they can be. Yeah. And and getting getting really good at that part of things. It's it's tough. That's my that's my hope. Well, it, 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 which is which is a great attitude to have. I I think that a lot of people, uh, uh, too many people, go into it, um, and I I'm super guilty of this, um, but. We'll go into it going, ah, I can handle all the things, you know, I, this is my baby. Uh -huh. I don't want it to, you know, and, it, you know, admitting, admitting that you can't is, is actually, 
you know, it's, it's kind of a, a brave thing. I think, you know, when, when, um, when you say, listen, I, I'm just not good at this part of it, you know, being able to, to have that, um, is, is, is an introspective awareness but also being able to say, I'm good at this side and I'm not good at this side. Mm-hmm. Um, it's something I've had to learn in the last few years myself. So, um, so like I, I definitely get, you know, uh, that, that whole idea. Um, I, I think that's, that's very cool that you've got some, some upcoming projects and, uh, you know, this is an amazing project. Um, I'm sure we'll be having more conversations about this uh, in the coming years. Are you going to be at QCC? Uh, yeah, I'm actually I'm one of the guests of honor oh. uh, at QCC this year. That's fantastic. We'll yeah, have to so- we'll have to we'll have to chat at QCC. I'll be I'll be going around on Saturday doing interviews. So okay, um, and I have uh, games of Iron Edit accelerated on the schedule. So That's amazing. If you wanna if you wanna get in on one, I'm sure we can find a way to make that happen. I, I'm yeah I will definitely attempt to do that um, I'm I'm looking at doing a couple I originally I was just gonna go around doing interviews I love I love doing this like it's one of my favorite things in the world mm-hmm. to, to interview people and, to, and talk about like stuff they love um, but then with QCC coming up there was a part of me that was like I'm not running anything but I also uh, I'm really good at improvising Um. Mm-hmm. I do. I'm uh, in an uh, improv comedy group, and I've played role playing games for years. And so, um, I may be doing in a completely improvised game for a couple things, like, like you know, maybe one session on Sunday and a couple on Friday or something like that. That's nice. No, you sit down. We don't know what we're going to play, and we're just going to play a game uh, using Chris's uh, sequence system. Um, which is rapidly becoming one of my favorite systems. No offense to fate. Oh, Hey, I, I didn't, I didn't make fate. I just use it. That's, that's true. Now what, what drew you? I mean, I feel like it's obvious in our conversation over the last, you know, uh, uh, uh 50 minutes, what did draw you to fate, but was there anything specific? Cause there are other story based systems that out there. Yeah. Um, Oh, like the the initial impetus of of this starting off as a stretch goal for a game that was run by Fate or powered by Fate Core, like obviously I had to embrace uh, some of that. But Fate is a system that just works really well mm-hmm. for me. It just makes a lot of sense um, for you to have the option to attempt to do anything and in most cases choose to succeed at some type of cost to yourself (coughs) pardon me i think that keeps the story very interesting it keeps the narrative flowing and it puts it puts that narrative uh first in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. and that's not to say that there aren't other games that do that uh there very much are or that you can't play a mechanically crunchy system that where you're not and, and and focusing on story is not an option because you totally can do that too. Mm-hmm. But when you have the currency of the fate points, uh, 
And you can say, well, no, I'm going to do better on this role because of this thing that is true about me or the situation around me. Like that makes a lot of sense to me. It, it means that, yes, this, this part of my person is important in this situation right now. Or the fact that my teammate lit that building on fire. Like we can use that mechanically because it's a narrative thing that's true. Mm-hmm. Like that all speaks to me a lot in terms of how how games work, how stories get told collaboratively with the groups you play with. And I think it's just really, uh, oh, it's, it, it's really robust. Um, and I know it's not a thing that sort of clicks for everybody, and that's fine. Um, some people want a more crunchy mechanical base to stand on and cool you know that's those those games are fun too like i do freelance work for paizo and write for starfinder so like i get mechanically crunchy (laughs) um yeah but if i'm gonna tell a story myself and i'm gonna use dice to adjudicate the outcomes of things um i want a general framework that tells me who my character is what they're good at doing Mm -hmm. and then lets me try whatever I want to that makes sense within the context of the narrative. Um, I don't want to run into a system where I try and do something cool and narrative. Like I'm going to jump off this balcony and grab a hold of the chandelier and swing down upon the vagrant and attack him and have someone go, okay, well your movement is 20. Yeah. So uh, (laughs) you can jump and you can hold onto the chandelier this turn, but you can't uh, swing down onto the vagrant right now. Like, I from the for the types of games that I like to play, that sucks. Yeah. There are contexts within which that is completely and perfectly acceptable. And in those contexts, I'm not going to try and do that cool thing. I'm just going to get the basic mechanical expression of what I can do out of my mouth and then move on. Um but I like I like games where action can be expressed cinematically, where you can be over the top with your descriptions and still have it function. Uh, and not break the game. Uh, so those are those are the kinds of games that I like to play. And Fate hits a lot of those notes for me. It, uh, yes, <laughs> like it does. It does exactly that. It's funny because I I definitely uh, when I first heard Phil's use the term um, polygamerous, I was like, mm-hmm. oh, that's totally me because I I love kind of being all over the place. But one of the things that I've thought about, I don't know if I've ever really said this anywhere. Um, but you know, when you see like traditional games versus narrative games, it depends on where you, you narrate the action. If I narrate the action before I roll dice, it's a narrative game. I'm telling, that's how I'm kind of telling the story. And then we see what Mm -hmm. the result is. If you narrate the action and this is how I play Pathfinder or Starfinder, I actually really, really enjoy Starfinder. Um, but uh, you know, I'll say, okay, well, I'm going to do this thing, roll some dice and, you know, okay, well, this is how, this is what it looks like when I do it, you know, describe what I'm doing after I've seen what the result is. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I feel like that's kind of the big difference there. Um, and I like both styles, but if, if you sat me down and said, you know, you can play one game I'm going to pick something narrative. I don't know what I'd pick right now. Um, I haven't played as much fate as I've wanted to. 
Um, but uh, I, I did run a very short fate campaign um, using uh, Masters of Omdar. Mm-hmm. And we made random characters and everything. Uh, nice. And uh, that was a lot of fun because that had a whole Masters of the Universe, Thunder of the Barbarian style to mm-hmm. it. Um, and I really enjoyed it, but I, I'm looking forward to playing more Fate. So, um, well, you know, if you want to play more Fate, I have a great recommendation for you. <laughs> I, you know, I was I was going to suggest Iron Edda Accelerated, but uh, what's your suggestion? <laughs> uh, it's called the Agency. Uh, I wrote it for Evil Hat. Oh, <laughs> right on. Yeah. Um, I, this will be sort of like the last thing that I can give you. And then I think I got to head out. Um, but, uh, no, the agency was, uh, a fate world and adventure, uh, that was released. It's pay what you want on drive through. It's, uh, uh, funded through their Patreon. And the idea is that you, uh, play the digital fragment of a, uh, now deceased super spy because your enemy is sort of like, uh, burned all of the, the field agents. Um, and you now go on missions that are run by the computer, Alice. And the way you do this is you share one single body of some low-level functionary at the agency, a janitor, a secretary, an accountant, um, the cafeteria lady, whomever. You share their body and their brain with like three or four other digital fragments. Um, so the low-level functionary's body has been like body and mind have been like enhanced and 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 really souped up but they have a very small set of very mundane skills like they may they might have plus two at cooking or plus one at sweeping um where you have like a narrow range of super spy skills Mm -hmm. and you trade off control of the body when things are in initiative order with the other field agent inserts who are in the shared brain. So you all drive Mrs. Stevens around and like this little old lady is, is like Jackie Channing around the room or like Yoda from the, the prequel uh, star Wars movies. Right. Cause she's just, her body's souped up and enhanced, but the civilian's body can't recover stress in the same way. So you can eventually just run them too hard and they break. Huh. And then you and then you get booted out and you have to go get a new civilian. Um, so you can either play it very empathetically and like treat the body that you're in well. So, you know, Sophie Jenkins, uh, who is the front desk receptionist, can like go home to her family at night. Or you can take um, Stephen Trapsmith, the accountant, and drive him like a car you stole. <laughs> that sounds amazing. Um, I um, I just bought that. Nice. Um, <laughs> it was in my wish list, so I was just like, oh, "Okay, cool." Yeah. So anyway, you can play that too. Fantastic. That's an, that's another fun fake game. Um, Tracy, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Uh, yeah, this was great. I'm I'm really glad that you uh, you wanted to have me come on and talk about this. Definitely, and it, I and and I feel like I do. I, well, I do say this to every guest I've had on. That you, if ever you want to just chat, you can let me know. We'll schedule it and we'll we'll record it and I'll put it out there because I love, I love these conversations. We don't we cool. don't even have to talk about the games you design. We could talk about the games you play or whatever. I or 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 
or I don't know anything. I, I love having these conversations. Um, so, uh, but yeah, it's, it's been great having you on. Um, I'm, I'm trying out, um, well, I, I said last week that I was trying out some new phrases at the end of my shows. Um, and I haven't quite found the right one to, to end my show. That's the, the hardest thing with podcasting, I think. Um, mm-hmm. so, um, but I, I feel like I hit it last week. I just kind of threw one out there. Um, but is there anything else that you want to, you want to, uh, you know, drop in there? I mean, we'll, I'll talk to you after we finish and we'll get all that stuff, but is there anything else you want to recommend to people that they try out or do? Um, so if you like RPG actual play, uh, I do, uh, an RPG actual play, uh, podcast called the other cast. Uh, you can find it on, on iTunes or whatever RSS, uh, feed scraper you use for your podcasts. Uh, it's all one word, the other cast, it's all jammed together with no spaces. Uh, it's been uh, fallow for a little while cause some life stuff has gotten in the way, but I should be posting new episodes here within the next couple of weeks, which is exciting. Um, if you want to follow me on Twitter, you can find me at the other Tracy T R A C Y. Uh, and you can find all of the games that I have produced, uh, myself or with my creative partner, Brian Patterson, uh, under the, uh, moniker exploding rogue studios. You can just search for exploding rogue on drive through RPG. Uh, and you can, uh, buy, uh, whatever of my stuff that you would like to buy. That's always, uh, enjoyed and appreciated. Um, and the other cast has a Patreon and I've got, a Patreon for um, small games that I am going to release as I design them. Um, I think there'll be one out here uh, in the next couple of days that's called Downtime, which is a very system light uh, framework for playing really messed up and experienced adventurers who have downtime in the tavern between adventures. Oh, uh, and it's all about the messed up stuff that happens in the tavern. Uh, and you you like roll on random tables to generate your race and a descriptor and the thing that you know that's really odd and strange. Um, so that'll be th- those are all free releases supported by the Patreon, and that's pa- that one's Patreon.com/slash/TheOtherTracy. Uh, and I'll probably I may I I think I'll be putting that out tomorrow, as a matter of fact. So that'd be the 26th of July as we're recording this. Fantastic. Oh oh. Hello, pizza Sorry. delivery. Yeah. Well, I'll be cutting that too. Yay. <laughs> um, so you'll be putting that out tomorrow, you think? Most likely, yeah. I think uh, there were a couple of um, layout and presentation issues that I needed to, to tweak, and I think I've got those sorted. Um, the small games are sort of my my way to get ideas out of my head. Uh, and just make something real quick, and then also to practice um, both my my graphic design skills, such as they are in Photoshop, and my layout skills in InDesign, um, so I can put together a whole thing tip to toe, um, you know, in in eight to ten pages, and just have it out of my head and have it be a thing that's now out in the world and has at least a little bit of uh, polish on it. That's fantastic. That's great. Um, wow. Uh, well, listen, I don't stop. I don't stop moving. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think that that's, um, I think, I think being able to, to not stop moving while being creative is such a, you know, I aspire to do that. So, 
Um, so thanks for being an inspiration. Aww. You're welcome. <laughs> um, and this has been an absolute pleasure. And uh, thanks for coming on the lounge. And All right, let, let's 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 hear that outline. I want to hear it. You want to hear it? Okay. Yeah. It let's, is, let's uh, hear it. And everybody else out there, stay classy. Not bad. That's not bad. It's That's not, not bad. bad. Yeah. Him, I like. I need that. <laughs> Thank you, Tracy, for coming on the lounge. Man, they were fun guests. I really, really enjoyed talking to them. Um, listen, I've enjoyed having all these guests on for you, the people out there, some great people, some amazing people. Uh, people like, I don't know, who's out there? I should look this up. Doing it live right now. Shouldn't do this. Who we got? We got, uh, we got PK Sullivan. He's the man. Um, GM Gerrymander. Kevin Lovecraft. Brandon Barnes. Love Brandon. Sean Merwin. Sean Merwin. I know that show. His show has a great editor, by the way. Those are some supporters of the Misdirected Mark Network through Patreon. Which you can go check out. And uh, hey, you know what? There's a lot of shows on this network. Did you know that? There's a whole ton of them. Um, let's see. I, I'm trying to think of some great ones. There's Janghu Hustle. We've talked about that before. Train alongside fellow students Eric Farmer and Eli Kurtz in Jenghu Hasalu. Eli and Eric make their Kung Fu stronger by watching Wuxia films and then discussing how to apply their observations to game design. Oh no. Oh no, what happened? Oh. It's close. It's a close one. <laughs> you can uh, you can check out Tracy's Kickstarter, which is currently active, Iron Edit Accelerated. Just search for that on Kickstarter. There's a link in the show notes. There's links to all sorts of stuff for, for Tracy. The other Tracy on Twitter. Me? Who am I? <laughs> Why, I'm Doc Palindrome on Twitter. You know that. The music that you are uh, you're bopping up and down to, which is coming quickly to an end because I've just been rambling is uh, And So It Begins. We'll be tuned, right? It's used under Creative Commons 3.0. And this has been The Lounge. From the media arm of Encoded Designs, the Misdirected Mark Network. We'll see you next time. <laughs>